Good morning, everybody. It is Thursday, September 21st, 2017. As always, it is Mike Lyon coming to you with the Wicked Awesome Boston Sports Podcast. Uh, if you are uh, celebrating Rosh Hashanah today, a very happy new year to you. Uh, hopefully you are spending it with, with family and friends and those you love. Uh, for everyone else, uh, you may have a day off, so hope you're doing it that way. But if not, hope it's a great day and a great morning for anybody who is listening. If you are a Red Sox fan, this is starting to sound familiar, although they didn't go to extra innings last night. But another day, another win for the Boston Red Sox. Yesterday was far easier than it had been the, far, the, the previous two nights against the Orioles. But they win the game and sweep the series in Baltimore. They win by a final score of 9 to nothing. The big blows came early in a four-run fourth inning, a two-run homer from Mookie Betts, a two-run homer from Devin Marrero, uh, a long one from Marrero. That was kind of surprising. But uh, that was just the beginning. They scored five more times. Uh, maybe the most notable part of that was Dustin Pedroia, who broke out of an 0-for-19 slump with a two-run double in the top of the eighth inning. The game was already well over by that point. Uh, but that made the score 8-0. They tacked another one on in the top of the ninth. They win the game easily, 9-0, sweep Baltimore. Uh, again, if you've heard this story before, it's because it's happened a lot lately as well. The Yankees won earlier in the day very easily, 9-3. I'm sorry, no, I take that back. It was 12-3 over the Minnesota Twins. They sweep the Twins out of New York, and uh, the lead, as a result, remains unchanged. It is still a three-game lead for the Red Sox in the American League East. The magic number to clinch the division is down to eight. So it's an eight-game lead with about 10 to play. And all, by the way, congratulations, Red Sox fans. You're going to be playing playoff baseball again. First time in consecutive years in quite some time. Uh, in, in about, I think, what was it? Like 2008, 2009, I think, was the last time they made the playoffs in consecutive years. Uh, because the Angels lost last night. That, coupled with the Red Sox win, guarantees the, pay, the, the Red Sox no less than a wild card, a birth in the wild card game. Uh, obviously, their sights are set far higher than that, and uh, making the playoffs was was basically a formality for the Red Sox. They're well ahead of everybody else. So, But in any event, they will be playing on in October, no matter what happens for the rest of the regular season. So let's break it down game by game as we go out. Ten games left in the regular season, three more on the road, followed by seven more at home. They get an off day tonight. And then they go to Cincinnati for the final road the final road series of the season. Uh, now, before you think to yourself, this is an easy one. Cincinnati's terrible, and there are they're not a good baseball team. The Red Sox right now, uh, I don't know if this has been officially uh, uh, announced by John Farrell yet, but if you go to the website, the Red Sox announced starters for the game are Rick Porcello Friday, Eduardo Rodriguez Saturday, and Doug Fister on Sunday. Now, you say to yourself, that's trouble because Drew Pomeranz and Chris Hill are not going to pitch in either of those games. Sale would not have been lined up to start this weekend series anyway. He only would have been on three days rest on Sunday. You're not going to do that to him. And plus, uh, you want him for two starts next week in the final homestand of the year. You want, him to face, you want him to face Toronto, and then you want him to face Houston. And the way the rotation shakes out, uh, that's exactly what he's going to do. So he'll get two starts in Fenway in the final homestand of the year. If they wanted to do it, they could pitch Drew Pomeranz on Sunday. He would be on regular rest because the Red Sox are off tonight. They have an off day. The Yankees also have an off day tonight uh, before they go up to Toronto for their final road games of the season. 
Uh, but it's just it. It's so they're they're going to go into Cincinnati as it stands right now. They will do it without their two best pitchers. And if you, it's been a long time. I it, I can't even remember the last time the Red Sox played in Cincinnati. Uh, you know, it's a team that they don't face all that much in interleague play. And uh, I just I I'm sure they've played there before. I can't remember the last time they were there. If you're not familiar with that ballpark, it is a band box. Balls fly out of there, and the Reds can still hit. They've, they've still got a lot of guys that can hit home runs. So this series is far from a foregone conclusion. Uh, I don't know exactly who's going to start the series. I, I kind of hope Pomeranz gets a start on Sunday if it comes down to it and they need a win. But in any event, we'll celebrate the, the, the sweep over the Orioles now and look forward to the series coming forward. So after the series in Cincinnati, they come home for the final seven games of the season. Uh, and that's always nice if you're trying to clinch a division. You'd rather do it uh, on, your, on your, your, your home turf and on your home field where the Red Sox have been very good all season long. They will play three games starting Monday against a team they have handled well all season, the Toronto Blue Jays, who have long mailed it in this year and got blown out last night by Kansas City. Uh, Sale, if Pomeranz does not start, uh, over the weekend in Cincinnati, he and Sale would both be lined up to pitch in that series against Toronto. And then you end the series with what has all of a sudden become a very interesting four-game series with the Houston Astros, who are the winners of the American League West and very possibly, in fact, maybe even likely, to be the first-round playoff opponent for the Red Sox if the Red Sox win the East. So... It's an interesting series and, and very much a potential playoff preview. Uh, we'll see how both managers want to attack that series because there's a chance, albeit a small one, that the Red Sox will have clinched the division, uh, just a small one based on the way the Yankees have been playing. Uh, there is a chance that the Red Sox will have wrapped up the division by the time that series starts. Again, I, I don't think it's a significant chance, but uh, there is certainly a possibility of it. Uh, the Astros will not have a ton to play for in that series. They may be able to track down Cleveland, uh, who's gone ahead of them for the best record in the American League and home field advantage throughout the playoffs. They, they might have that opportunity. Uh, but the final season of the year is one where managers want to get their rotations lined up for the playoffs. They want to get guys some rest. Uh, I don't think you'll see Houston... Uh, Come, come full bore with, with their full allotment of players, their full rotation, their full bullpen uh, assortment. I, I don't think the Astros are going to do that, but they could. Uh, it makes the series very interesting for a lot of reasons. Uh, the, the Red Sox are more than likely going to have a lot more to play for in the series than the Astros will because, they, like I said, they, they more likely than not will not have the division wrapped up by that point. Uh, they may still have to do some work to get the division to, to, to get the divisional crown. So uh, it becomes a very, very interesting series to close out the year. If you're wondering what the Yankees are doing, they play their final three road games of the year this weekend. I told you the Yankees. If it seemed like the Yankees had a ton of home games to close out the year, it's because they did. Uh, I don't know who created this schedule, but the Yankees got a, got a, a very favorable schedule in September. Uh, they go up to Toronto for three games. And it's the final three games of the year in, in Toronto, I think, for for, for, for for the Blue Jays. I think that, 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 that closes out their home schedule. But following that series, the Yankees also come back home for seven games. They play a makeup game against the Kansas City Royals on Monday. 
Then they get three against the Tampa Bay Rays and three against the Blue Jays to close out their season. All seven of those games are in Yankee Stadium. Uh, and if you haven't been paying attention, the Yankees are really hitting again. They're playing. I mean, they're playing great. They're playing really good baseball. It's good that the Red Sox are also playing really good baseball lately. But the Yankees are absolutely killing the ball. Uh, Judge hit his 45th yesterday. He's in pretty lofty company. Company when you consider the stats he's put up in his rookie season. Uh, Gary Sanchez also hit a home run. I think they went back to back. Uh, Sanchez is over the 30 home run mark as well. The team can really, really hit. They're really, really hitting right now. They haven't faced the best pitching lately, but that's not their fault. Uh, they're just trying to, you know, they're, they're, they're hitting what's in front of them. And, you know, if those bats get on a roll, watch out. I wouldn't want to play them. Um, so it's important to me that the Red Sox win this division. They don't want to play a, they don't, you know, you don't want to play a wild card game. Even though you'd most likely be the host in it, uh, you, you want to get out and get your and get your rotation set, not have to worry about uh, any any weird goings on, I suppose, in the ALDS. So the magic number is at eight. That's the se that's the season going forward. Uh, at a minimum, Porcello Rodriguez will go in Cincinnati. It remains to be seen who will pitch on Sunday. Right now, Fister is scheduled. Uh, I, I, Pomeranz could be, could, like I said, he could go on regular rest if Farrell wanted to go that way. But for now, enjoy the off day. Enjoy that season or that series sweep against the Orioles. And it, again, that was a team the Red Sox had struggled with this season. They win two extra inning games, and Sale and company shut the door on them yesterday. So a good series sweep for the Red Sox. Magic number is eight for the division. Now, while we are on the topic of Chris Sale, who, as everybody knows, or it seems like everybody in Boston knows by now, Sale had his 300th strikeout last night. They, they sent him back out there for the eighth inning um, with 299 strikeouts. He got two outs, and then he struck out the last batter he faced for an even 300 on the season. Pretty big accomplishment and pretty lofty shoes. The only other Red Sox pitcher to do that over the course of a season was Pedro Martinez in 1999 when it seemed like he was untouchable. So a pretty... Darn good accomplishment for Chris Sale. Congratulations to him. And <clears throat> excuse me, as as I'm as I'm thinking about the season that Chris Sale has had, I hearken back to the trade that that got him here, which came around the winter meetings last year, so a little less a little less than a year ago to the day. And I'm thinking to myself, is there anybody in Boston? who given the chance would not do that deal again. Because if you'll remember, there was some controversy around the deal uh, because the Red Sox gave up, gave up an awful lot to get him. They gave up Yohan Moncada. They gave up Michael Kopech, um, two of their best prospects, if not their two very best prospects, uh, and two prospects who were rated in the top 10 or top 20 of, of pretty much every publication who, who does that sort of thing. And they gave up more beyond that, too. So they gave up an awful lot to get Chris Sale. But, in, with the benefit of hindsight, it becomes a pretty obvious question, obviously. But, I remember looking at that trade and thinking, whoa, they gave up way too much at first. First reaction was they gave up an awful lot to get this guy who has a herky-jerky windup. He's got good numbers, obviously. A good pitcher. But you're bringing him into a high-level situation in Boston that he's never been in before. He's never really played on a winning team in Chicago. I, at first glance, I remember thinking they gave up too much. 
Then I remember thinking more about it and saying, all right, you got to give something to get something in trades. They didn't give up Devers. They didn't give up Benintendi. They didn't give up that kid Jason Groom, who's still in there, who was still young, obviously. They just took him, and he's still toiling away in the minor leagues. Had a bit of a tough year this year, but he's still very young. They didn't give up those, those prospects. And the more and more I thought about it, the more and more I thought, I like this deal. They needed a pitcher at the front of the rotation who could stabilize things, who had wipeout stuff. That's when the Red Sox are at their best, when they, when they have an ace. And for as much money as they paid David Price two years ago to be the ace, and as well as he actually pitched in 2016, and people forget that he actually pitched pretty well, you put Sale at the front of that rotation, which then had Price and had a Cy Young winner in Rick Porcello, and I said to myself, that's a good deal, man. They're going to be awfully tough to beat in that rotation. And now with the benefit of hindsight, I think it becomes even clearer. This, this is a deal that if you get the opportunity to do it, and I'm going to say this, and it's going to sound like a big hot take, but this is a, a, a long-held opinion that I have. If you get the opportunity to do a deal like the Red Sox did, you do that deal 100 times out of 100. It seems easy to say that now, obviously, with the benefit of hindsight and the fact that Sale may win a Cy Young, Kluber might beat him out for it, but you know, Sale and Kluber are 1-2 in some order in the American League. If he's not the best pitcher in the American League this season, then he's the second best. If you get the opportunity to go get a guy like that, and it costs you a couple of high-level prospects, you do that deal every single time. You can't pass up the opportunity to go get somebody like Chris Sale. You just can't do it. Herky-jerky windup notwithstanding. That's the, you know, it's the Pedro Martinez deal all over again when you think about it. I mean, the, the prospects that the, that the Red Sox sent 20 years ago to Montreal to get Pedro Martinez, one of them was Carl Pavano. I think Tony, Tony Armas Jr. was in the deal as well. These guys were high-level prospects. They were very, very well thought of. Pavano had himself a fairly decent career, actually, before he kind of lost his head. He signed with the Yankees and lost his head as the Red Sox kind of laughed at it. But you got to do these deals if you're put in a position to do it. You can't, I mean, I realize it's it's important to invest in your in your farm system and, and to maintain your prospect rankings and <clears throat> to, to, to have a, 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 you know, to have hope for the future and to develop these guys. I, I realize these prospects are important. Uh, I realize the, the, the Red Sox team as it as it is currently made up, and the Yankees team for the most part, uh, are made up of guys who came up through the minor league system. I realize that, and I realize how important it is. But the trading mechanism in Major League Baseball is there for a reason. And if you can take advantage of it to get a guy like Chris Sale, and it's only going to cost you a couple of top-level prospects to get Chris Sale for three, maybe even more years, you've got to do that deal. You've got to do it. It's pitching, and especially high-level pitching, like somebody like Chris Sale brings to your team, is so rare. I mean, even if Michael Kopech develops the way that, that people think he might, I mean, he, he has what, what appears to be electric stuff. He can throw the ball unbelievably hard. Even if he develops the way people think he's going to develop, there's simply no guarantee that he's going to sustain that level 
for the duration of his career the way Sale has. I mean, Sale's a dominant pitcher for several years now. He came up as a really good pitcher. He's developed himself into one of the best of the game, and he's maintained it. And to get a pitcher with that kind of track record, with that kind of stuff, that can slot into the top of any rotation is worth its weight in gold. It's worth giving up two prospects for it. Especially when those two prospects aren't all that old yet. I mean, I know, you know, they, they invested heavily to go get Moncada, and he's built like a Mack truck. He, he, he looks like an athlete, and he's had a, a fairly decent first year in Chicago. But you got to go. I mean, Sale is way more important than Moncada would ever be for the Red Sox. He just is. Having Chris Sale has been that important to the Red Sox this season. He's, he's the reason the rotation is as good as it is. He's the stabilizing force. He'll strike anybody out. He's been hit a few times, don't get me wrong, and if they play Cleveland in the playoffs, you know, and, and Cleveland gets to him like they have during the regular season, not going to be a great look for Sale. You know, we can criticize him all we want at that, but over the course of a regular season, to have a guy like Chris Sale in your rotation, you don't think the Yankees would love to have Chris Sale in their rotation and Ace in their rotation right now? You know, you don't think the Astros would kill to have somebody like that? And as good as the Astros are and as good as their pitching can be, how good do you think the Astros would be if they had him? I mean, any team in Major League Baseball would kill to have a guy like this. So if you can go get him, you've got to do this type of deal. And I understand the initial reaction for, for, for fans that follow these, the team closely and any team closely for that matter when, when you give up high-level prospects to go get a guy like Chris Sale who's never been on a big stage before. I, I understand the first reaction is to say, oh my goodness, they gave up so much. They're, they're sacrificing their future. But the fact is, trading for Chris Sale isn't just an investment in the present. It's an investment especially if he's you know, under team control or under contract for a few years like Sale is. It's not just an investment in the, pre in the present. It's an investment in the future, too. Because not only this guy's going to be around for a couple more years, and other, play, other players are going to want to play for that team, too, if they see a guy like Chris Sale at the front of the rotation. He's that good. He's that important. I mean, somebody like at, 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 they, they, in, you know, these high-level guys, they just they don't exist. There's only a few Chris Sales out there. Kluber's one, Kershaw's another. You know, Arietta when he was really, really good a couple years ago, although I would say he's not that now. Max Scherzer, certainly. But these guys, they, they don't exist, and if you can get somebody like that for a couple of prospects, you've got to do that deal. It makes your team better. It just makes your team far better to have a guy like Chris Sale around than it does to have a couple of prospects toiling, toiling, toiling around in the minor leagues and waiting to see if they develop. So uh, I'm saying this almost cathartically because I remember looking at the deal myself and thinking, I don't like it, they gave up too much, and then slowly warming up to the fact. The performance of Chris Sale this season has borne out the fact that this was the right decision, and not only was it the right decision by Dave Dombrowski, it's a decision that has to be made every single time. So let's uh, transition off the Red Sox for a second. We know where they are and what they're going to be doing. Let's talk about the football team for a couple minutes. And Wednesday is always a big day because the practice report comes out and you see who's practicing and who is not. The report is largely good news for Patriots fans. Danny Amendola 
was a limited participant in practice, but the fact that he practiced at all suggests that he is out of the concussion protocol uh, and may be good to go for Sunday. Good news there. Dante Hightower was a limited participant in practice. That is certainly good news. It is not necessarily an indication that he's going to play on Sunday, but the fact that he feels well enough to practice uh, suggests that the knee injury is a minor one. If he doesn't, if, if he does not play on Sunday, then he probably plays the following week. So Hightower's moving along. That's good to see. Rob Gronkowski shows up on the practice report as did not practice, uh, but multiple reporters said that he was there and, and was taking it in, at least in the beginning of practice. So it is entirely possible that he was there and the Patriots just want to give him a little bit of a break today. And maybe he's okay to play Sunday. Uh, but, I mean, you know, you, you see the do not practice next to his name and you get a little worried that he's, he's not going to be available. Uh, we'll see. Let's see how the rest of the practices this week go before we make a, a final decision on him. But the fact that he was there at the start of practice was almost universally hailed by uh, the reporters as, uh, as a good sign. So keep an eye on him, but we'll see. Uh, among guys who did not practice, and the one that's most concerning to me is Marcus Cannon. Marcus Cannon had an ankle injury during the game uh, against the Saints last Sunday, but played through it and went wire to wire. He didn't practice yesterday and wasn't spotted. So there's a possibility that you're without Marcus Cannon on Sunday. And if that is the case, then it will be the first time that the Patriots offensive line, as currently constituted, did not play a game together since the AFC Championship in 2016 against Denver. That offensive line went wire to wire last season from week one all the way to the Super Bowl. And to me was one of the biggest uh, biggest, biggest stories as to why the Patriots were as successful as they were last year. Because the offensive line got together, played continuously. Somebody might have taken one snap off late in the game. But uh, otherwise, they were on the field for pretty much every snap that, uh, virtually every snap that counted last season. Uh, so if Cannon does not play, the Patriots are going to have to go with probably Cam Fleming at right tackle. Uh, maybe Ladrian Waddle. Who knows? But uh, let's, again, it's Wednesday. It's too early to say one way or another whether Marcus Cannon is going to play in the game on Sunday. Uh, they're also at home, so you're not going to get an early, you know, who didn't make the flight. Like, you know, last week you knew. Uh, that, that Amendola and Hightower were not going to play because they didn't get on the plane to go to New Orleans. They're at home this weekend, so you don't have that, that, that benefit. You're just going have to have to wait until Sunday to, sh to see who shows up on the inactives list. Uh, Vincent Valentine was back at practice, so they might get a little bit more help on the defensive line, although the interior of that defensive line uh, was okay. it wasn't bad. Lawrence Guy played pretty well on Sunday. Uh, Alan Branch, which is in the doghouse, obviously, uh, didn't play much at all. Uh, so Valentine can get back in. He gives the defensive line a little bit more. Rex Burkhead did not practice yesterday. So Burkhead may have to miss a game. Uh, he left the game against New Orleans in the second quarter after hurting his ribs. He didn't return. Uh, so that may be an injury that, that keeps Burkhead out uh, for Sunday, if not longer. So keep an eye on that one. Uh, that's the story on the inactives from the Patriots. Uh, the line on this game is something else to, 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 to report on or, or to think about, I guess. And, and by Wednesday, you have an idea of what the line is really going to be. Uh, it's 
it's not worthless to see what the lines open up on, open up at on, on Sunday or Monday. But uh, after the money comes in, you have a you have a sense of where it's going to go. The the line on this game is 13 in most books in Vegas. The Patriots are a 13 point favorite. And if you say to yourself, well, we've seen this before against Houston, you're right. They they were an eight, I think a, a 14 or a 15 point favorite in the playoffs against Houston last year. Um, so it's 13 in a lot of books. It is the biggest spread in the NFL in week three. Now you don't pay attention too much to what lines tell you. I mean, lines are made to be, uh, they're not an exact science. Vegas does an unbelievable job. And quite frankly, I don't know how of forecasting every game and, and they get it unbelievably close in a lot of games where it just seems impossible that they should. So, uh, a 13-point line suggests that Vegas thinks the Patriots are going to blow Houston out. They're begging people to take Houston plus 13 points, um, but they think the Patriots are going to are, are going to win this one by a lot. And if you think about the matchup, not a surprise. Houston's offense has been putrid all season. They're going with a rookie quarterback in Deshaun Watson. Rookie quarterbacks never play well against Bill Belichick. It's not to say that they can't. He's lost to rookie quarterbacks before, but they almost never play very well, especially in Foxborough against Bill Belichick defenses. And add that to the fact that the Houston offense is just not good anyway, and you've got a recipe for success. The Houston defense, meanwhile, is very good. In fact, it's going to be the best defense the Patriots have seen all season. And in my opinion, I know they got kind of pasted on opening night uh, by Jacksonville, who subsequently looked awful in week two. Um, the offense put themselves, you know, kind of put the defense in a few holes that night. Uh, the defense came back, Paneers back and played well last week against Cincinnati. Again, not an offense that's going to scare anybody. Uh, but you got to remember what the, what the, the Houston or the Houston defense did to the Patriots in the, in the playoffs last year. Uh, this was a game that should not have been anywhere close uh, and the final score indicates that it was not. The Patriots ended up winning that game by 18 points. But if you'll remember it, the, 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 the Houston defensive line terrorized the Patriots offensive line uh, in the playoff game last year. Whitney Merciless was all over the field. Jadevian Clowney got some rushes. Uh, and they did that in the playoffs, by the way, without J.J. Watt. And J.J. Watt is going to be on the field on Sunday. Uh, his finger is an interesting in interesting shape, let's put it that way. He's got a dislocated finger, but uh, he's going to be on the field on Sunday, so that makes that defense all the better. Their secondary is good. They lost Brian Cushing last week to a suspension, performance-enhancing drug suspension, uh, but the defense is very, very good. So it's going to be a challenge for the Patriots offensively, even though they're at home, uh, to get some get something going. They had they they were able to move the ball and score some points against against Kansas City. Uh, in week one of the season, obviously they didn't win that game because of a lot of things. But uh, the offense didn't, you know, did, didn't click in the second half after they had a lot of injuries. Um, so, so look, is it a game that the Patriots should win? Yeah. Is it a game that I think the Patriots will win? I do. I think the Patriots are going to win this game. Uh, is it a game that I think they're going to win by more than thirteen? Eh. I think it's probably around that. It might be a little closer. Uh, so if I was betting, and I don't bet, I, I, I'm very interested in watching watching lines and, and watching what teams are, are, are 
supposed to do or are forecasted to do, but I'm not a better. If, if I was a betting man, I'd steer clear of this one. Uh, I don't completely trust the Patriots yet um, on offense or defense, quite frankly. I think I might, you know, I might grow to, especially on offense over the course of the season. I really like Houston's defense. I don't like their offense at all. Uh, but I, I think there's just too many wild cards in this game to, to really know what to do with it. Uh, but the line is 13. Uh, it's kind of settled at that number, maybe 13 and a half in a couple of books in Vegas, but it's right around there if you are inclined to go that route. So steer, stay tuned to the Patriots reports from today. They're back on the practice field. There will be a little bit more information as to who's going to play in the game on Sunday and who will not. So that is our show for today. Uh, we covered the Red Sox in detail. We did a little bit on the Patriots. Tomorrow we will probably have an abbreviated show because there won't be that much to talk about. The Red Sox are off tonight. Uh, the Bruins do have a preseason game if you're into that. Um, nothing really going on with the Celtics. And uh, we'll talk Pats, but th there won't be too much to it depending on what happens today in practice. So probably a little bit of an abbreviated show before Friday's big preview of the Patriots Texans on uh, Sunday. We'll also certainly talk about the Red Sox series against the, the, the Reds that tips off on Friday night. Uh, for now, though, have a great day. Enjoy it. Hope you're spending it with people that, that, that you love. Uh, in Philadelphia area, anyway, it's beautiful weather. I hope it's the same way in Massachusetts. We send our love out to those in Mexico and those in Puerto Rico who have been affected by, and elsewhere in the Caribbean for that matter, who have been affected by Hurricane Maria and the big earthquake uh, in Mexico City. We hope everybody's safe down there. We send you the best of luck. And uh, until tomorrow, we'll talk a little bit more then. This is Mike Lyon with the Wicked, Boston, Wicked Awesome Boston Sports Podcast. Have a great day, everyone.